Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 30th of June 2019. This evening we are joined by Dr. Peter Firth, who takes his reading from Acts, chapter 9, and brings us a message entitled, The Power of the Gospel. Well, it's lovely to be back with you uh, this evening. I mean that most sincerely and so grateful to Alfie for leading that uh, first part of our worship. Uh, he didn't know, but uh, what I want to share with you tonight ties in very neatly uh, with uh, what has already gone before. So if you have your Bible with you, can I encourage you to uh, turn to it? Um, and our, this evening we have two readings. Uh, the first is found in the book of Acts, chapter 9, and then the second will be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But first things first, uh, Acts chapter 9, and to what I suspect is a very familiar story to the majority um, of you. The story of Saul's dramatic encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. And of course, following that dramatic encounter, Saul later went on and became uh, better known as the Apostle Paul. But let's remind ourselves of what took place back then on that road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is a reference to followers of Jesus Christ, they were known as people who belonged to the way. Jesus, you may recall, said on one occasion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, the early followers of Jesus were referred to as people of the way. Um, that's what that's referring to there. Um, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days... He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, 
I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Tremendous story. But let's go on and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. And as we turn the pages of Scripture, not only are we uh, moving forward chronologically in the Bible, but we're also moving forward chronologically in time. And we cover a period of about 30 years now. So here is uh, Saul, now the Apostle Paul, looking back uh, on what had gone before and what we had just read a few minutes ago. And he uh, reflects upon it, and he writes, verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's bow our heads in a brief prayer. Father, we thank you for this part in our service now as we consider your precious word and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and point our eyes toward the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be exalted 
and honored in all that is said. And in the Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, it'll be of great help if you can keep your Bible open at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, because this evening I, I want to look with you at these verses, um, verses 12 through to um, 17. And I don't know how much you know about the letter uh, called 1 Timothy, um, so let me give you just a little bit of background um, to it. And you can see that the letter is, first of all, um, attached to the name of one Timothy. Timothy, of course, was one of Paul's highly esteemed uh, workers. And sometime around the year 62-63 AD, Timothy was appointed by the Apostle Paul to be his representative to the church in the great city of Ephesus. Now, today, of course, Ephesus no longer stands, but in the first century, it was a very important, a very significant city indeed. You could still visit the ruins of Ephesus today. Uh, they lie in uh, western Turkey, and sometimes there are Christian tours uh, taken to Ephesus. But it was an important city, a, a city in the first century that had a population of about a quarter of a million people, so much bigger than Cumber, much bigger than Cumber. And people in that city came from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. There had been a church established in that city for some time uh, before the writing of this letter, but Timothy was brought in to the situation because of serious problems within the church. And as you read the letter, you get an insight into what was taking place. In brief, uh, certain men who had previously held to the truth of the gospel had started to wander away from the truth of the gospel. And they were teaching other things that weren't going to build the people of God up. Things that were causing arguments and quarrels and fights. And as a consequence, the harmony in the church was being destroyed. Unity was uh, under threat. And the witness of the church in Ephesus was in serious trouble. And so Paul appoints Timothy to work in the city and to bring them back to a place that they had departed from. In particular, he wanted Timothy to impress upon the believers in Ephesus the importance of sound teaching and the importance of the gospel, preach the gospel to these people. 
And in order to encourage Timothy in this task, he takes time in the letter to remind Timothy and the other believers in Ephesus of the power of the gospel, and more particularly, the power of God's grace. And to illustrate the point, Paul uses himself as an illustration of the power of grace. What grace can do in the life of a person and how grace can turn a person's life around. And in verses 12 to 17, Paul talks about two things. Number one, he talks about the gospel and talks about the essence of the gospel, which is stated for us in those familiar words in verse 15. Have a look at them. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ Jesus came into the world, the Son of God, came into the world as a man for this purpose, to save Or you could translate it like this, to rescue, rescue sinners, men, women, boys, and girls, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of our sins, uh, we face God's judgment against sin. And in order to rescue us from that prospect, God in His love sent his son into the world on the greatest rescue mission in all human history. And that rescue mission continues today through the followers of Jesus Christ as we share the gospel with others and continue to pray for their salvation. So Paul reminds Timothy and the other believers in Ephesus of the essence of the gospel, what it's about. But Paul does something else here, which is truly remarkable. He not only talks about the essence of the gospel, he shares his own personal experience of the power of the gospel and how it changed him. And as he talks about this, he talks about three things in particular. He first of all describes what he once was. Then secondly, he talks about how God responded to him in that state. And then thirdly, he emphasizes what he became as a result of God's dealings with him. So three things. Number one, what he once was. Number two, how God responded to him back then. And number three, he emphasizes what he became. And he shares all of this to encourage Timothy and the believers in Ephesus to get back to the gospel, back to preaching the gospel, and to have confidence in the power of the gospel 
to save people and to transform their lives. So with that by way of background, uh, let's look a little bit more closely at what he has to say. You still with me? I hope so. (laughs) Just before we take up our first point, can I draw your attention to verse 12? Begins, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And then can I draw your attention to the last verse, verse 17. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What I want you to see here is a very simple point, but it's a very important point. When Paul talks about the gospel and how his life was transformed by grace, he frames the entire discussion within worship. He's thanking Jesus and he's glorifying God. And that's so typical of Paul. When Paul thought about the gospel, when Paul thought about what God did for sinners, and when Paul thought about what God did for him, he could not but help be thankful to God and to praise God. And that's the correct and appropriate response that all saved men and women should have when we think about the gospel and we think about our experience of the gospel. It should lead us, draw us, yes, drive us to worship. So don't miss that point. It's very important. Now, what he once was. Well, Paul gives a very brief very concise description of himself prior to his conversion. And it's a threefold description. And it's found there in um, verse 13. Here are the key words. Number one, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. A threefold description. I was once a blasphemer. So, if you're in the habit of underlining your Bible, which is no bad thing to do, that's a word you would underline. Secondly, a persecutor. Thirdly, depending on the translation you use, a violent man. Those are the three key terms in the text. As Paul looks back some 30 years ago to what he once was. He says, first of all, I was a blasphemer. What did he mean? What he meant by that was simply this. So far as the Lord Jesus Christ was concerned, I did not see who he is back then. I thought he was an imposter. I did not see that he was Israel's true Messiah. And I certainly did not see that he was the Son of God incarnate. The Son of God become flesh. I didn't see that. And when I encountered Christians 
I was offended by them and I was offended by their claims about Jesus of Nazareth being Israel's Savior and indeed the Savior of the world. And instead of praising him, I would curse him. I would curse him. I would blaspheme him. I would speak all manner of evil about him. That's what he means. That's what I was once like when the name of Jesus was mentioned. And I'll not go into it in any great detail, but you will discover from Acts chapter 26 and verse 11 that when he hounded the Christians and caught up with them and interrogated them, he even tried to get them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. That's how hardened he was toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not honor his name. Secondly, he says, I was a persecutor. A persecutor. And of course, I don't need to go into detail here because we've read Acts chapter 9, how Paul, back then known as Saul, set about the task of hunting down the Christians when they fled out of Jerusalem following the death of Stephen. Uh, not content to just leave the Christians alone, he went after them like a wild animal and hunted them down. And he even went to the high priest to get letters so that he could go to synagogues in Damascus. And if he found any Christians there, he could arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial because of their crime. Uh, he felt that Christians were a threat to Israel's well-being, and he persecuted them. And it was very horrible what he did. And again, because of the constraints of time, let me just mention that in Acts 22 and verse 4, he makes this terrible statement. I persecuted them to the death. Persecuted them to the death. I wanted them killed. He was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer. And then thirdly, translation here has it, a violent man. But it really doesn't do justice to the actual term that um, Paul uses at this point. It's difficult to translated in just one simple word or two simple words. But it really describes a man who finds satisfaction in humiliating other people. He says, that's the kind of man I was. I would humiliate the Christians. And I find satisfaction in it. And that's what he was before the Lord confronted him on the Damascus road. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
save blasphemers, persecutors, wicked people. Secondly, how did the Lord respond to him? How did the Lord respond to him? Well, again, verse 13. I think this is lovely. And how has the Lord responded to you and to me who are Christians tonight? Not as our sins deserve. Two key words. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he's no longer that because God changed him. Uh, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was shown mercy. That's a wonderful statement. I was shown mercy. God showed mercy to me. And you'll notice that in verse 16, he repeats it. I was shown mercy. And when a word is repeated in the New Testament, take note, because the writer is seeking to emphasize this point. Now, what does all of this mean? I was shown mercy. Well, to show mercy means this. It means to look on someone who's in a wretched state and to respond to them with pity and kindness. Pity and kindness. God had every reason to strike him down on the Damascus Road because of the things that he was doing. But God didn't do that. God showed him mercy. The very opposite of what he deserved. He showed him mercy. And I want to remind you this evening, as I remind myself, if we're Christians, that God has shown us mercy. And let me go further than that. It's not just that he's shown us mercy in the past. Every day he shows us mercy. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. Even as Christians, we fail him. We sin against him. And yet he continues to love us and show kindness to us. And this term mercy is found at the very beginning of this letter, at verse 2. Because when Paul starts to write this letter and addresses Timothy, and Timothy's been a Christian for quite a long period of time and has been involved in Christian service for quite a long period of time. What does Paul desire for Timothy? Mercy. That you'll continue to know God's mercy in your life. So I don't care who you are tonight. You still need God's mercy. And we should be thankful for that. That he continues to be merciful to us. And it's a cause for worship. Mercy. You know, from time to time you'll find as you read the newspaper that there is a column in certain newspapers that's called the Nation's Rich List. Do you ever come across that in your newspaper? The Nation's Rich List. Not all papers run it, but a number of them do. And they 
list the names of the people in Great Britain uh, and Northern Ireland who are extremely rich, super rich, and they'll tell you how much they're worth. They'll tell you how much they have in their bank accounts and so on. These are the super rich. When it comes to our God, the Bible says on a number of occasions, He is rich. And it's true, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. But more importantly for you and for me, we need to know He's rich in mercy. Because I need mercy. And there is a God in heaven who is rich in mercy. Looking down upon us this evening. In fact, Scripture goes further and says this. Not only is He rich in mercy, Ephesians 2.4, He delights to show mercy. You ever think about that? He delights to show mercy. Aren't you glad? <laughs> he, let me paraphrase it this way. He finds pleasure in showing mercy to us. He finds pleasure in that. That's why when we worship God, we often refer to Him as a merciful God. That's why. Full of mercy. And incidentally, the children are to be like their Heavenly Father, aren't we? Merciful. Merciful. Treating others in a way that they don't deserve. Doing the very opposite to what people might expect. Because we're children of a great king who happens to be merciful. Merciful. Never forget it. Never forget it. And he's merciful throughout our lives. Throughout our lives. That's good news. But Paul says, not only did he treat me with mercy, he treated me with grace. It's another one of those great New Testament words. Grace. And Christianity is a, a religion of grace, if you want to put it that way. Have a look at verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. It's amazing, isn't it? The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Paul says, I was shown mercy and I received grace. Undeserved favor. And in this particular context, it means more specifically, God's enabling power that leads to spiritual healing. Saul did not realize the wretched state that he was in before God on that Damascus road. He thought he was a righteous man. He thought he was doing the right thing. 
how blind he was. And it took the Lord to confront him before he was able to see just how wretched he was in the sight of God and that he needed a Savior. And that's exactly what happened to him. Now, Paul's language here is very interesting. Very interesting. Because what he does here, and it's not immediately obvious from our Bibles in front of us, but what he does is this. As he thinks about the Lord's grace to him, he coins a new word to explain uh, the richness of this grace. And he comes up with a new word. It's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's literally translated like this. Grace that is poured out abundantly. Abundantly. Now, how can we best illustrate that? Well, I think one of the best ways to illustrate that is as follows. Um, You and I, living in this part of the world, we're very familiar with heavy downpours of rain. And um, in recent times, we've experienced huge volumes of water coming down from the heavens, falling on the land. And rivers have burst their banks and spilled over and so on all around the country. That's the image behind Paul's special word here. It's a river of grace that has broken its banks and it's poured over me. It's poured over me. That's what happened to him on the Damascus Road. The Lord's grace was poured out on me in abundance, like a river bursting its banks. And the full force of that hit me. And it changed me. It's wonderful, isn't it? And if you're a Christian tonight, I know the majority are, you've experienced this grace as well. And this grace changes you. How did it change him? Well, two key words very quickly in our text. Notice what he says, verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with, here are the key words, faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What it means is this. When the Lord poured out His grace upon me, He gave me two things. Number one, faith. And number two, love. In other words, whereas before there was only unbelief before the Lord Jesus Christ, now as a result of grace, faith fills my heart. And that's due to the Lord's grace. And were it not for His grace, my heart would not be filled with faith. Faith toward the Lord. I now believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior. What made the difference, Paul? The Lord's grace made the difference. He changed me. Grace changed His people. And the second thing that resulted from this outflow of grace is love. That heart that was filled with hatred 
has now been transformed into a heart that is full of love. And I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the people of Christ. And I even love those who aren't Christ's people yet. That's what grace does. Gives you a new heart. A heart full of faith. And a heart full of love. And people look at you and wonder, what on earth has gone wrong with you? What's happened to you? And the answer is the Lord's grace. It transforms people's lives. It's grace. And that's why we make so much of grace in our times of worship. Because it's the only thing that can transform hardened sinners into disciples. Grace. And the hardest of them all was Saul. Look what happened to him. Have confidence in the Lord's grace. Have confidence in the Lord's grace. Well, that's what he once was. That's how the Lord treated him. And as we think about how he treated him, we should be thinking about how the Lord has treated us. Our seen grace. And the fact that you've got faith in your heart tonight and love in your heart tonight is evidence of God's grace in your life. It's evidence of a miracle. What did he become? Well, we know he became the great apostle, don't we? Yeah, we know that. But he says something else here in verse 16 that I think is so wonderful. He says, but for that very reason... I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners. Can I just stop there a minute? Because it's probably, I'm hoping, obvious to you. But if it's not, then I need to point it out. Saul here has been, Paul here has been a Christian for about 30 years. But he's still referring to himself as the worst of sinners. Did you notice that? The worst of sinners. Look at verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now what you would expect him to write, at least this is what I would have expected him to write, of whom I was the worst. Past tense. Is that what he writes? Of whom I say it? Um, is that past tense? That's called the present tense. Here he is in his 60s. And he's been serving the Lord for decades. And he's preached the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. And he still says of himself, I am chief of sinners. Isn't that amazing? He says, humility before the Lord, I'm the chief. Because no longer did he compare himself to other people. That's what we do when we're non-Christians. We compare ourselves to other people and we say, well, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as they are. But when you become a Christian, you should stop comparing yourself to other Christians 
and simply compare yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in comparison to Christ, you're the worst. And you wonder how he could ever have taken notice of you at all. No room for boasting when you're a Christian. The only one you boast about is the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian. So what did he become? Well, for this very reason I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What is Paul saying here? He's saying this. The reason why the Lord saved me was so that I would become an example to men and to women of how merciful and long-suffering and how gracious the Lord is towards sinners. If they ever wondered, could I possibly be saved in light of all that I have done? All they needed to do was listen to Paul's testimony and they would have been encouraged to realize, well, if the Lord can save him with that background, then he can surely save me as well. I'm an example of the Lord's long-suffering, his unlimited patience. And what you find is this. As Paul went around the ancient world and preached the gospel, he would weave into his preaching his own story, as good gospel preachers do. He would remind them of the truths and the facts of the gospel, but he would also remind them that this gospel transformed his life. He would share his story. And in sharing his story, he was exhibit A of what the power of grace can accomplish. Look at me. I was once like you. No, I was worse than you. And if he could show me mercy, then he can show you mercy as well. And he will if you'll come And bow the knee, acknowledge your sin, and accept what Christ Jesus did on Calvary's cross when he laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, yours and mine. You see, I want to encourage you tonight, that's just why I'm here, There are no impossible cases with God. Some of you are worried about your family members and thinking, it just seems impossible. They never go to church. They won't even talk about it. They just don't seem interested. Don't give up praying. Remember Saul. If you forget anything else, remember Saul. And what happened to him? And it wasn't in a church meeting that he got saved. It was out on a road that he got saved. Our God is able to do the seemingly impossible. That's why we're people of hope. 
because there's so many seemingly hopeless situations. But our God specializes in transforming seemingly impossible, hopeless situations. Let that be an encouragement to you. And so as we close tonight, here is Paul's testimony. Beautiful and wonderful as it is. And as I pointed out to you before, it is framed within statements of worship. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord because of what he's done for me. And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the language of worship and how fitting. Well, let's continue our worship, shall we? Thank you for listening so well and being so patient as we sing our final piece uh, tonight.